Well, hours later, the chore had taken a lot longer than expected. And Salem kept dropping in to ask him questions or to convince him to go play. And he almost always replied by saying, almost done, Salem. Well, his neighbor, June, an elderly woman next door, said to him, as observing all of this transpire, said, ah, the joys of home ownership. (laughs) And Becker replied, well, you know what they say, the more stuff you own, the more your stuff owns you. June said, that's why my daughter is a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. Those words struck him. And here's what Becker writes next in his book, The More of Less. Quote, The sentence reverberated in my mind as I turned to look at the fruits of my morning labor, a large pile of dirty, dusty possessions stacked in my driveway. Suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed my son, alone in the backyard, still playing by himself. The juxtaposition of the two scenes dug deep in my heart, and I began to recognize the source of my discontentment for the first time. It was piled up in my driveway. I already knew that the possession already knew that possessions don't equal happiness, doesn't everybody? At least we all profess to know that our things won't bring us true satisfaction. But in that moment, as I surveyed the pile of stuff in my driveway, another realization came to me. Not only are my possessions not bringing happiness into my life, even worse, they're actually distracting me from the things that do. So thus began a journey for Becker and his family of cleaning their home of excessive possessions. Becker's not alone in feeling this weight of too many things. Over a million people read his blog every month. He certainly has struck a nerve. And for a lot of us, this, is str- this struggle is very real. In a survey a few years ago, 54% of Americans are overwhelmed by the amount of clutter in their lives. Sadly, 78% have no idea what to do with it or find it too complicated to deal with. In case you need a little bit more convincing that this is actually a problem, Here's some some statistics taken from Becker about our excessive possessions. Number one, guess how many items are in the average American home? You'll never guess. (laughs) Not quite that many, but 300,000 items. Now, granted, that includes every paperclip or whatever, but still... Isn't that number mind-boggling? Number two, over the past 50 years, the average size of the American home has nearly tripled. Even with bigger homes, though, that's not enough space. So now we have storage units. Number three, the U.S. has upward of 50,000 storage units, facilities, more than five times the number of Starbucks. Currently, there is seven point. Three square feet of self-storage space for every person in the nation. It is physically possible that every American could stand all at the same time under the total canopy of self-storage roofing. 
So did you get that? Every American could fit into storage units right now. Number four. This one's for the guys out there. We know guys like your garages, right? Put stuff in. 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park even one of their cars. And then 30, another 32% have room for only one of their vehicles. Just to be fair, here's one for the ladies. <laughs> in 1930, the average American woman owned nine outfits. Today, she owns 30. Number six, here's one for the kids. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, yet they own 40% of the toys in the world. We have a lot of possessions, don't we? I think this topic needs to be discussed, especially, you know, uh, considering everything in life is ultimately a spiritual matter, isn't it? So I think this topic needs discussion. Now, I want to say a couple things from the outset. That, that first of all, possessions affect people differently, don't they? I mean, that, that is a true thing. And so some possessions, uh, some people are not as impacted. Where the next person, really it stirs greediness in them. The more they possess, it just stirs more and more. Whereas the next person, maybe it doesn't affect them so much. Or some people can live in clutter and so forth. And it doesn't bother them as much as maybe the next person who does. So people vary. I want to make that clear. But also want to make, and also want to make clear that I'm not advocating that after this message, you go and sell all of your possessions. Scripture never commands that for every person. There is no one-size-fits-all solution for this situation. Okay, so does everybody hear me? I don't need any angry emails this week. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Jesus doesn't say it, and I'm not saying it. But that said, excessive possessions and the resulting life of clutter is a big problem in America, and Christians are not exempt. But aren't you glad the Scripture speaks about all of life? All of life. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' teachings about possessions. Then we're going to explore some of the dangers of excessive possessions. And then finally... We'll have some discussion about practical steps that you might want to take if you feel so led. So first, let's examine Jesus' teachings about possessions. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now, as you're turning there, I do want to make an important connection from Jesus' day to our day, so that we understand his words and their impact. In Jesus' time, few people live like we do in terms of material prosperity, okay? We live in a time in world history, and we live in a nation in particular that is very prosperous compared to Jesus' day. As individuals, we may, may not be considered rich in our nation, right? But we are so compared to Jesus' day. So consequently, when you hear Jesus' teaching here about riches, okay, 
We shouldn't dismiss them because we may not be considered or labeled rich in our nation. Rather, knowing that we are much more prosperous than people were in Jesus' day, we should, I think, actually heed these teachings all the more about the danger of accumulating possessions. Does everybody get that? So when you hear these words about riches and wealth, we need to take them in the context of the original audience and how we live as Americans in the 21st century. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus warns about covetousness, which of course is wanting what somebody else has. He goes on to say that our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Our value is not in what we own. And then Jesus proceeds to tell a short parable about a very rich man who owned a lot of crops, okay? And so he wasn't satisfied because he didn't have enough storage space for his crops. He decided to build even bigger barns so that he could put all the rest of his crops into those barns. In verse 19, the man says to himself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's where we get that phrase from, right? Very common phrase. In verses 20 to 21, God responds to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So notice Jesus does not condemn the man for being rich, but for his greediness and accumulating possessions, right? Then a little bit later in Luke 12, 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now, I do not think that Jesus means that every person should sell everything that they have. Someone has to provide. I don't think that's the gist of his point here. Rather, we should not accumulate possessions, but sell needless ones. You might say, why? Because our treasures on earth will not last, will they? Jesus refers to money bags that people would store their money, right? And they would carry around these money bags. But he points out that, look, uh, that moths and thieves come along and they take those money bags and boom, your treasure that you love so much is gone. In Matthew 16, 619, Jesus gives a similar warning. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I don't know why, but we need that constant newsflash, don't we? That we don't take any of this stuff with us, do we? Instead, our treasure should be in heaven. Meaning, in God's presence, His kingdom, rejoicing in His glory, serving Him. That's treasure that will never go away. And in verse 34, Jesus gives perhaps his most famous teaching regarding wealth when he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Friends, our heart is the center of our being. It's the source of our feelings and our affections and our thoughts. So whatever is our treasure, 
our hearts are inevitably going to be wrapped around our treasure. And there are many ways that this happens. Excessive possessions can lead to idolatry where we put them in the place of God. That's what an idol is. Right. And so we look to our possessions and wealth to bring us security. Right. We think if I have this amount in the bank account, then I'm secure. Instead of God being our source of security. Right. Or we might look at our possessions and say, you know, if I only had this, then I would be satisfied a little more money. Or if I had that jewelry, if I drove that car then I would be satisfied. Or we may not outwardly regard wealth and possessions as idols or a source of happiness, but they wind up consuming our time and attention, right? They become idols because our hearts are wrapped around them. And so the chief issue, as we sometimes will say, is do we own our possessions or do the possessions own us? That's just getting right. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this leads to a final teaching from Jesus about wealth and possessions. And this is very powerful. Is that they're deceptive. They're deceptive. Remember the parable of the soils? Jesus describes a man who goes and he has some seed in his hand and he throws it out on the ground and it represents four different types of soil, each representing a human heart and how the gospel, which is the seed, interacts with that human heart. And so of the four different types of soil, only one is good soil and actually receives the gospel and bears fruit. One of the soils is represented by the thorny ground. You say, what's the thorny ground? Well, the gospel lands in the ground and starts to take root, but gets choked out, right? That's the thorny ground, bears no fruit. You say, well, what's in that thorny ground? What does that symbolize? Well, in Matthew 13, 22, Jesus explains it. He said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth Choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the thorny, thorny ground is the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. You say, well, why is wealth deceitful? What well, promises something that it cannot deliver, right? Meaning true soul satisfaction that can only be found in the Lord. But people foolishly choose wealth over Christ. But they're deceived. Do you get that? It's not like it comes with a banner. It's not like it comes with an airplane dragging it across a, a sign across the sky. Hey, buddy, this is going to deceive you. It's subtle. No one probably likes to think of themselves as greedy and covetous, right? Most people want to think of themselves as generous. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? Riches are deceitful. They're deceitful. And if you fall for it, you will be regretting it. Either at this point in your life, at some time when when the lights will come on and you start realizing things, or on Judgment Day. 
Now, in the context, as I said here, the thorny ground refers to non-Christians because there is no lasting fruit, right? A true Christian will bear fruit. Godly character, godly deeds, that's what true fruit is. But I do think, though that context is about non-Christians, that a Christian can be negatively affected by the deceitfulness of wealth and not be as fruitful as possible. Amen? Because of these things. So let's look at some specific dangers of excessive possessions. Some specific dangers of excessive possessions. First off, loss of time. Loss of time. You know, Scripture tells us that we should be very cautious and circumspect about how we use our time, right? Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. God gives each of us one life. One life to live. And He wants us to be wise in how we use our time. And excessive possessions can take away your time. To start... With everything you own, everything you own, you got to do some, if not all, of these things that I'm about to mention. You have to go buy it, right? That which means you have to go to the store, take the time to go to the store, or look online and do stuff like that. And I don't know if you're like me, but I take so much time just to buy something. I want to go to the store and get a printer, a stupid little printer, right? And there are 5,000 options, and I don't know which one to pick, and I don't want to spend the money. And so then I have to go home and research and look at consumer reports and look at all these things. It'll take me 10 hours to buy a printer. So that's just to buy it. That's just to get it in the house. Then you have to clean it, store it, organize it, fix it. If you move, then you have to pack it up, right? And then go find a new place for it. And then one day you have to dispose of it. All that for one thing. So I don't think it takes a a rocket scientist to figure out that the more you possess, the more time it takes, right, of your life. For example, people often talk about how much time they spend cleaning their house. Well, if we had fewer possessions, it wouldn't take so much time, right? That's just math. Another aspect of loss of time is searching for our things. It is funny, but it's sad. It's actually a huge time kill. The more we possess, the more difficult it is to keep track of. I try to keep pretty good track of my stuff, but I know that I have spent so much time looking for things. Did you know one study reports that we spend one year of our lives searching for lost items? That's depressing. (laughs) More than that. One year, one year. Another study reports that 23% of adults say they pay bills late and incur the fees. You know why? Because they lose them. They can't find them. They can't find the bills, and so they pay more. So we waste our time. 
Second thing, second danger of possessions, excessive possessions, is a loss of money. Study from 2011 reported that Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential items. In other words, they list things like, you know, things that we don't need. Things like pleasure boats, jewelry, alcohol, gambling, and candy in contrast to essential items like food, housing, medicine, and so forth. An interesting factor in this research was the fact that uh, of the non-essential spending, it's 11.2 total percent of our percent of our total consumer spending. Did you get that? So 11.2 percent of our total spending is on non-essential items. A decade before it was 9.3, and in 1959, excuse me, it was 4 percent. 4%. And yes, that is adjusted for inflation. So in other words, we're spending almost three times as much money on non-essential items as people were spending about 50 or 60 years ago. And we're spending money on things that we really don't need. For instance, with our clothes, the average American only wears about 20% of their actual clothes. And this was shocking, but the average American throws away 68 pounds of clothing and textiles every single year. If you don't believe me, I'll show you the link. It was hard to believe, but that's what it said. Sadly, though, this wasted money, it's not like we just have it growing on trees and we just have as much as we want. But that wasted money comes at the expense of more important uses of money. For example, many Americans have little in personal savings. One study shows that nearly half of all Americans have, have, do not save any money. Any money, but yet we have 11.2% that we give to non-essential items. And yes, our charitable giving is lacking too. Americans give only about 1.9% of their income to charitable causes. Now, please hear me out. I'm not saying it's wrong to go buy you some candy or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. But do you see a lack of perspective here? I hope you do. Because we're spending a lot of money and accumulating things that we actually don't need or don't even use. And meanwhile, a lot of folks don't have anything in savings. And even more importantly, when we're thinking about as followers of Christ, kingdom perspective, we have no more money left to give to the kingdom, to advance the church and to advance the kingdom of God and missions around the world because we don't have anything left. So you can't say this isn't a spiritual issue. This isn't just about managing our houses so we have a little less clutter. This is about advancing the kingdom and practical decisions that we're making and not making that affect how effective the church is in the United States. And here's the third danger. Loss of well-being. With more possessions, I think we're more likely to have clutter. Would you agree with that? The more you have and the more likely you are to have clutter. So with our physical health, clutter can increase stress. I like what Becker says. He says, mess plus excess equals stress. They've actually done studies on this. One study showed that, quote, cluttered homes full of unfinished projects were more depressed, fatigued, and had higher levels of the stress hormone, hormone cortisol than those who described their homes as restful and restorative. As if that, were not, that, that was not bad enough, when that stress hormone cortisol, 
when it doesn't go down because your house just stays in a, in a condition of cluttered all the time? You know what happens to you? It says it's been associated with greater chronic stress, disease progression, and even mortality risk. So it can, it can affect your life. also affects your mental health. For example, clutter can decrease our focus. There was a Princeton University study where they said, you know, when you encounter multiple stimuli in front of you, you have a hard time focusing on any of them, right? It just overwhelms your senses. And so for a lot of people, when you're working in a place of clutter in your house or in your workplaces, you have a hard time just actually getting something done because you look at it and you don't know where to start, right? And you feel overwhelmed and you procrastinate or you just maybe stop what you're doing. And we all know that what that leads to is discouragement, right? And then when you feel discouraged, then you look to other things to bring satisfaction in your life like food or whatever it is to cope with your discouragement. You see that nasty cycle? So there's some real dangers. I hope you see why this matters. Our excessive possessions affect us deeply, and can affect our service and devotion to God. So let me offer three practical steps so we can end on a positive note here today. First of all, develop a plan. What I mean by that is ask yourself, how can I live for God? How can I live for God? What is He calling me to do? What is He putting on my heart in ways to serve Him And then look at your life where there is possessions that might drain away your time and your money and your well-being. And then get rid of them. Don't just sit there and think, okay, i got to get rid of this. Look at that. No, have something in mind where you want to go, how you want to live for God. And then when there's all the excess, then you get rid of that stuff. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you'll drive yourself crazy. For example... Set aside to say, you know what, I need to start spending more time with the Lord in the mornings. Or I want to spend more time serving the Lord in the church and in the community. I want to have more quality time with my family. And I'm going to resolve to make this happen. And if you're running short of time and you just don't have enough time to do that, go back then and look at your life and the excessive possessions. And are those things taking away from your time? Or if you say, you know what, I'd really like to make some different financial decisions and live debt free. Well, resolve that this is the way I'm going to live. And then look and see, are there possessions that prevent you from living that way? Let your plan guide you instead of just haphazardly trying to figure out should you keep something or not. Second, give generously. It goes without saying how many times Scripture speaks about giving to those in need and how important that is to follow Christ. And I think you're more likely to donate and give away items if you know that it will bless others, right? Somehow, they're not so important to you if you know that it will bless somebody else. Joshua Becker recounts a, a woman's story who had really gotten on board with trying to, trying to trim down some of her excessive possessions. And she had made some real progress, but there was one area that she was making no headway, and that was with her clothes. She just loved fashion, and so she just kept these things to herself. And then one day, she was driving down the road, and she went past a battered woman's shelter, and she thought of the women 
there who perhaps had little possessions, might have been fleeing from their homes and had nothing really to say for themselves. And she thought about her closet stockpiled full of clothes. And it was at that moment that she realized, you know what, what a blessing it would be to these women. And that was all she needed to start giving away some of her excess clothes. Third, clean wisely. This real practical here, real practical. Start slow. You know, if you've been accumulating stuff for decades, you're probably not going to get rid of it overnight, right? I mean, don't beat yourself up. Start with something realistic. Go say, I'm going to get rid of 50 items this week, or I'm going to take a big bag and I'm going to donate it to Mops for their fundraiser and so forth. I'm going to fill up a big bag. Start with the easy stuff and then move to harder decisions that might come later. Do an initial sweep through and then maybe start saying, you know what, instead of worrying about the whole house, which is overwhelming, let me take one room at a time and just take some time and go through those rooms. And as you see the difference, it's going to motivate you to think about more, can I live with a little bit less? And here's a piece of very well-intentioned, kindly marital advice. You might have differences with your spouse about possessions. I'm not talking about a particular item, but about just your outlook in general. Right? There's a spectrum of mindsets about this. On one end, you have the minimalist. On the other end, you have the hoarders. And that might describe you and your spouse right now. Or you might be a little bit more in the middle there, but you're still not on the same page. Right? Let me encourage you to work together. Try to compromise if you can and make it something that you enjoy and then benefits you both. And yes, please do not throw out your spouse's stuff without them knowing about it. Amen? I don't want to do a bunch of marriage counseling this week because of that. (laughs) No, 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 no. We're not going there. Not going there. Now, as parents, a word to you as well. You might recognize maybe this message hits home with you and you say, you know, what? I do struggle with having excessive possessions. I just want to encourage you to think about the example you're passing on to your kids. Trying to set an example for them of contentment so that they might avoid the same struggles that you are struggling with yourself. Amen. You don't want to pass that on to the next generation. And also, I would encourage you to resolve to spend more time with your kids rather than more money on your kids. You know that some people say that one of the causes of the proliferation of stuff in our country is because there are so many parents who buy a lot of gifts for their kids to make up for their lack of being there. Kids need your presence more than your presence. They need your presence more than your presence. And yes, I did use two different words there. So friends, we've taken in Jesus' teachings about possessions and heard about their possible dangers. I hope that you will take away from this 
that Jesus is not attempting to punish his people. He knows what brings joy and satisfaction for his people, right? He's not here to take away your joy and your satisfaction and your happiness. Rather, he invites his church to follow him and his example of a better way of life, a simpler life that is freer to love God and to love people. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that your word does speak to all of life. And Father, as we have heard these words from our Savior here this morning, we recognize, Lord, that each of us has a hole in our heart that we try to fill up with different things, whether it's possessions or money or career or people or pleasure. We all have that hole that only you can fill. And so, Lord, that is my prayer, that first and foremost, we would recognize that we need you in our lives. That if someone here today has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, maybe this message has hit home about the, the emptiness, the black hole of trying to fill it with possessions. And that, Lord, today they would put their heart around the treasure of heaven. They would see their need for Christ. They would turn from their sin and realize that he is the one that they are looking for. Father, I pray also for those who have decided to follow you, who believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, help us to recognize the deceitfulness of wealth and possessions. Jesus doesn't give this warning for no reason. So, Lord, I pray that all of us would do some circumspection in our hearts. Think about the things that we have. And Lord, ask your spirit to lead us and guide us so that we wouldn't waste our time, our money, and our well-being, Lord. That we would have wisdom from you to live a life that would honor you. And that, Lord, you would be able to clean up some things so that our hearts and our minds would be less cluttered as well as our homes so that we can love you more and serve your church and advance your gospel. It's all for your glory, Lord. Very practical discussion today, but Lord, we pray that it makes an impact in our lives. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.